Welcome to Focus, a productivity podcast about more than just cranking widgets. I'm David Sparks, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Mike Schmitz. Hi, Mike. Hey, David. How's it going? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, excited to talk about Focus again. You know, it's funny. Every day we have a Focus recording. I, I just I get excited about recording the show. I, I don't know. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, we may have to switch this to a weekly show at some point because it, it is a lot of fun talking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we got some follow-up, though. Great discussion on intentionality going on over in the forum. Yeah, inspired by your blog post on the topic. Yeah, and and actually it led to some feedback that became part of today's episode as well. We, we, we were going to have a guest in, but uh, there were some kind of significant questions I thought we should fix and uh, explain before letting that get too far. Also, masterminds. Uh, we talked about that in episode 67 with Laura McClellan. Um, and you uh, followed up on that as well in the uh, forum. Yeah. So in the episode, we talked about the topic of, of masterminds. Laura mentioned she's part of a writing mastermind. I'm part of a local mastermind group. I know you were interested in the idea. And we had teased in that episode that the Focus Forum would be a great place for listeners to get connected and start forming their own mastermind groups. Well, that episode, as we're recording this, aired not too long ago, but there hasn't been a, a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of activity there. And I was thinking about why that might be, and it totally dawned on me that we didn't really explain how to do it. <laughs> we just kind of talked about it at a high level, but I know from personal experience that starting or joining a mastermind is a pretty intimidating thing to do. So I put together a blog post based on my experience, which I'm hoping will help point people in the right direction. I created a topic in the forum for it. And I also mentioned in the, the post that I'm happy to answer any questions that people might have because I'm really all in with this idea. The, the mastermind group that I'm a part of has been really influential, really helped me through a couple of difficult situations in, in my own life. And so I really understand firsthand the value of this. And I just want to help as many people get plugged into this as I can. Well, I'm glad you're offering to answer questions because I have a couple. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Because <laughs> I haven't, I haven't done it, and and I was genuinely interested in the show, and then afterwards I started thinking about it. Um, just separate from the ideas of how do you get started is, you know, two questions in my mind is: Do I need to be in one where there are local people, where we go to a restaurant and we talk? Or can it be virtual? And then the other question is, am I looking for a mastermind group of other people that are doing things similar to me? Or does that matter? And those two questions completely flummoxed me. It, it's uh, put me in a holding pattern on the whole decision because I don't know what I'm supposed to really be looking for. Exactly. Yeah. And I know that Laura mentioned that she's part of a writing mastermind. So I'm guessing that the people who are a part of that mastermind are all writers. So that is one way that you could form a mastermind is around a specific interest. But in the post that I put, I have a big header on who should I invite to my mastermind group? And I, I boiled it down to three key components and a, a common theme or a, a common profession is, is not part of that. So number one, you need a growth mindset because the whole idea of the mastermind is that you are going there because you want to improve yourself and you want to and you want accountability from other people who are going to help you achieve your personal and professional goals. And the whole idea of goals maybe turns some people off, but really you just have to be looking for ways to get get better, not be satisfied with the the status quo. I guess the 
the phrase I'm looking for here is like, uh, you're content with your situation, but you're not complacent. You're always looking to improve. Uh, the second one is that you need people who are committed, people who are going to be all in with the idea. You need people who are going to push you and who are going to respond to being pushed themselves. If people just disconnect when that happens, your mastermind is going to fall apart. And then the third one is you don't necessarily need to be in the, the same, uh, like I have a common interest per se. You don't have to be BFFs with everyone in your group, but you do need to be able to relate to them. So kind of the the clarifying question there is like, can you see yourself spending non-work time with them? That doesn't mean that somebody is in the same industry as you. It could be somebody that's totally in a, in a different area. And actually, an argument could be made that if you get people who are in different situations, that provides you more diversity and perspective in the mastermind. So um, I, I hope that that helps people. Like you don't have to overthink this stuff. You just have to make sure that the people who are there are there for the same reasons as you are. And then it then it will work. Well, I, I'm definitely interested. I'm going to read your post carefully. But another question is, what is a reasonable amount of time that someone should expect to put into one to get something out of it? Yeah, that's another great question. And to be honest, it varies. So my mastermind, we meet about once a month, and it's usually for about an hour. I mentioned in the post, I kind of wish we would meet more often than that. I think weekly might be ideal, but you don't have to invest an, an hour, hour and a half every single week in order for a mastermind to provide you some value. It really just depends on what you're looking to commit and then making sure that everybody that's in there whether it's in person or virtual, is uh, understanding the same rules of engagement. Like you've got clearly defined, this is what this is going to look like so everybody stays on the same page. Okay. Well, I'm definitely interested. I'm going to be following up on this. Uh, just like I said, I had a couple questions that immediately kind of put me in you know, a block on this whole thing. I wasn't sure even which way I wanted to go. Uh, you didn't answer the one question about digital meeting, you know, like a, an online group with people all over the place versus do we need to be in the same room? I, I'm thinking for me, I think actually a digital meeting place would make a lot more sense than getting in a car and going somewhere. Yeah, I, th I think that it really doesn't matter. Uh, for some people, meeting in person is just going to feel way different and they would prefer to do that. I think for myself personally, I would have no issues connecting virtually. I mean, for a while, I was part of the Asian efficiency team and we connected virtually every single day. So, you know, there are situations where that can be that, that can be done. I would recommend if you do it virtually that you do use video software because more is communicated through looking at the people in your mastermind than just what they say. And uh, you really need a tool that's going to allow you to to do that. But other than that, I don't think it really matters whether you're meeting locally or whether you're connecting with like people in the focus forum, you know, people all over the world who uh, are just committed to the, the same ideas of personal development and personal growth. I guess for me, I'd be more interested in getting the right people, even if they're far away, than, than needing to meet them in person. I guess that's the way I'm looking at it. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes the virtual meetings can turn into the physical meetings. I mean, we started doing this podcast before I ever met you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the the technology allows you to cross a lot of borders that your physical location in the past would have limited you to. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, we'll follow up on that. Um, uh, I wanted to, we've got a, a big topic today, but before we get to that, I have a little one I'd like to talk about. And that's just the general idea of travel and productivity. 
Uh, if you go way back in the old free agents archives, uh, Jason and I did talk once about uh, when you're going on vacation or when you're traveling, how to get your work done. Um, I'd like to take a little bit more of a productivity focus on this. Um, we're I'm getting ready as we record this to head out of town uh, to a conference where I'm doing multiple presentations and a whole bunch of stuff. You're getting ready to uh, go on a vacation trip down to, uh, I don't know if I should say where you're going, <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> but, that's all right. The, uh, the, the East coast. <laughs> okay, so you're going out of town with your whole family. And so we, we both have got these trips planned. Mine is really work slash pleasure with probably more work. And yours is my guess is primarily pleasure. Um, the, uh, but you know, how are we going to deal with, um, planning for that, trying to be somewhat productive, but also enjoy, you know, the day and live in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would, I would say that initially my trip was yes, uh, more geared towards, towards pleasure given certain, (laughs) the current state of things, there is going to be some business happening there as well. And, uh, also I'm thinking of specifically the max stock conference last year where I presented and my wife came with me because Max Stock happens to fall uh, right around our anniversary. And so we kind of use that as an excuse to to get away. But also presenting at a conference can be, at least for me, pretty stressful. So uh, I learned a few things last year trying to to balance those. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're recording this show quite a bit early because of all the travel plans. And so I am talking about for the trip for me is I'm going to be speaking in Chicago at the American Bar Association. I'm doing two different presentations there with four different other strange, you know, people that I don't know that well. And then we're doing a live episode of Mac Power Users. So there, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And the problem with travel for me has always been uh, the primary problem is I always overestimate my ability to get work done on a trip. I mean, that's just for some reason, I think. Uh, you know, when I go on a trip, a lot of times when it's a business related trip, I go alone, you know, so I don't have my family. So all of the things I do with them comes off the table, which then I do quite a bit with my family. And then I think, well, and then I'm going to be in this hotel room where there's nothing to do. So I'm going to be like a productivity animal. I'm going to get eight hours of sleep and I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to, it's just going to be crazy how much work I get done on this trip. I always leave with that intention Never happens though, does it? <laughs> yeah, and it never happens. I come back feeling defeated and behind, and it even affects my attitude on the trip because I had this expectation going in, and as I'm doing the things that I went there to do, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, uh, emails getting behind, and you know, some you promise somebody a contract that you haven't written yet, and so that stuff starts to weigh on you as baggage, and and I'm really, uh, you know, uh, planning ahead this time. I'm not going to let myself fall into that trap. You know, we're recording this a couple days before I leave, and and I'm already trying to figure out how I'm going to do it this time uh, and not have those problems. That is tough, and I think it makes it tougher if you are in a certain work situation where you have to be able to respond to not just clients, but anybody at a at a moment's notice. You have to be able to solve problems even while you're you're traveling. Yeah. So the way I've done it as I've traveled for work in the last several years, unfortunately, I've, I had been working with a, a company which understood that there were limitations in terms of what you're able to do when you're you're on the road. So even in the, the company calendar at Asian Efficiency, we had travel days, which 
automatically it was assumed for sprint planning purposes that while you were traveling, you were going to be below 50% in terms of what you were able to contribute <laughs> towards the the team goals during those, those days that you were traveling. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that I picked up that really helped was understanding that you're not going to be able to get all of this stuff done. You may think that, like you said, you're going to get to the hotel room, there's going to be nothing to do there, and you're going to be super productive. But coming to the realization that that is never going to be the case, and then being okay with functioning at 50% effectiveness, and that's that's assuming that you don't have to balance something like you're doing, David, where you're giving multiple presentations and things like that, too, because you're going to have to be solving problems and and maybe, you know, finding the right dongles <laughs> to to connect to the 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 uh, projectors and stuff like that and I know you wrote a whole book on on law stuff so you're probably prepared for it but there's things that'll come up that will disrupt uh what you think you're able to do and then uh being okay with that and recognizing what are the things that you can do around that which are going to provide you a greater return than than 50%. So for example, when I travel I don't work on the plane anymore because I know that I'm not going to be able to do it very effectively. So I'll bring a book and I'll read on the plane because it's amazing how much reading I can get done. And that's one of those things that typically is like, well, I know I want to read more. I know I've got this book on my shelf that I've been meaning to, to crack open for months now and I haven't been able to do it because there's always one other thing that you have to do. So recognizing that this is kind of the ideal location for this task, that makes it uh, that makes it a lot easier. And also, you don't feel guilty when you get there about not getting anything done because you resolved at the beginning that you weren't going to get anything done while you were while you were on the plane. Yeah, I think so much of it is is just setting that expectation going in. Um, I actually can get work done on a plane with an iPad. Um, you know, Microsoft Word is very good. But but I it just depends on the situation. I, I feel like I uh, give myself the willingness to punt on an airplane. Like if I get on... And immediately there's like three screaming kids next to me or the guy in front of me is uh, the guy who reclines the seat, you know, immediately or, uh, you know, just various scenarios. I'm willing to say, okay, this is not ideal. I'm not going to fight it. It's like, you know, nature is telling me this is not going to happen. So I will read a book. So I I get that. But I do think um, uh, setting some reasonable expectations going in will is always a big help. And it's something I'm really trying to do this time. And my goal for this trip, I mean, it's it's only three business days that I'm gone, so it's not the end of the world, but um, is to have t- uh, two hours blocked a day to make sure I deal with all of the email and the most urgent of urgents, you know, so I have two hours. And that's that's largely going to the law practice. For the Max Barkey stuff, I will have posts written before I leave so I can have, you know, some of that stuff managed and then, and then, if I can just get those two hours a day, then I'm going to consider it a victory. And anything beyond that is gravy. I didn't tell you. In addition, this trip I don't have uh, isolation because I'm bringing the whole family with me too. So it's just going to be worse. Yeah, yeah. Family is a game changer. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But I do find on trips usually, uh, especially when I go with my family, people often like to sleep in because we're doing a lot of stuff. And if I can get up just a couple hours early. Uh, most hotels have got a lounge or somewhere you can go sit and get some work done in the mornings. And that that's key. And then you get those two hours done. You actually feel okay. You're like, okay, it's, it's, it's managed enough. And then you can go enjoy the day. You don't have to 
feel guilty or be carrying around this mental baggage that you've got something you should be doing and you can actually enjoy your time with your family. Yeah. Well, my kids don't sleep in yet, so I guess maybe that's something to look forward to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. It is, frankly. <laughs> but uh, I think the, the, the larger point to draw from this is that when you're traveling with your family, obviously there's a whole bunch of other external factors that can all of a sudden become urgent because you have people with you and regardless of the situation you know maybe it's maybe it's something fun maybe it's something that you want to do but regardless like you have a lot more opportunity for something to be presented to you that will disrupt your work plans but even if you're traveling alone that still is going to happen on a on a more limited scale but that's kind of why I'm not willing to say like I'm going to set aside any amount of time for getting worked on an airplane because whatever can go wrong will go wrong. I'm going to get stuck in an airport. The guy in front of me is going <laughs> to recline his seat as soon as the, the plane takes off. Like assuming the worst in terms of work productivity is something that I have to do so that I don't feel guilty about it when I when I get off the plane. And really that extends to the whole the, the whole reason for the trip as well. So in the past, I have been very rigid about you know, we're going on this vacation as a family and there will not be any work that's going to get done here. And I'm going to be unreachable. And I don't really have the luxury of that this time, unfortunately. But I've found that as long as I open the window for work productivity, and I, I hate using productivity in terms of just just work stuff, because I think it's a lot bigger than that. But if you open the door to that at all, at least for me, I always then am feeling bad about my the, the lack of output, the lack of what I'm able to get done, because I know how much I can get done in a, a normal day and under normal circumstances. And it just feels like whenever I'm whatever effort I'm putting forth in this scenario where I'm uh, where I'm handicapped, essentially, in terms of what I'm able to, to produce, it's it's not going to be. It, 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 compared to my normal work, it's not going to be to the same standards. And that that bugs me. But then every moment that I'm working as when I'm on vacation with my family, I feel bad because I'm not with my family. <laughs> so like you're constantly, at least for me, I'm constantly in this this uh, tug of war state where I'm going back and forth between these two things where when I'm with my family, I'm thinking that I, I should be working on something. And when I'm working on something, I'm feeling like this is a waste of time. I should be with my family. <laughs> yeah, see, and that for me is the benefit of the time block. It's like from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., I'm keeping, you know, the wheels attached to the thing that pays the bills. And then after that, I can set it down and move on. And, and having a time block really helps. Uh, some other steps I'm taking with this trip is uh, we're two days before. I just had a client ask me for a big project. I already told him I'm traveling uh, most of this week and it's just going to be next week before I can get it to you. And, you know, we're normal. That's unusual for me. Usually I'm more responsive to clients. And there's some part of me that's afraid to say things like that. But, you know, his response was, okay, that works. You know, I mean, it was like no big deal. And uh, I think, you know, uh, communicating realistic time estimates to clients as you prepare for a trip is going to be helpful. The other thing I do is I have uh, an assistant that helps me out with some of the email processing and things like that. And I've already given her a heads up. Hey, I'm going to be out of town a few days, so I may be sending you more than usual. And, um, you know, make sure to check it every day and, and, you know, that whatnot. So I'm kind of getting the pieces in place. Uh, but for me, um, you know, it's just really kind of getting down to, 
um, accepting that for my situation, a trip like this that involves me doing some speaking, involves some family time, the only thing I'm going to get done is the um, just kind of the daily triage of information coming in, what be email, largely email. And I'm going to deal with um, the small emergencies and big emergencies even. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with those. I've never had one of those on a trip, but um, I usually I can find a way to get more time on those as well. But, but uh, you know, daily triage plus small emergencies, and that's it. And if I accept that going in, I think it really does help me mentally get through the trip. Yeah, I think that's a good strategy. I don't think it would work for me. <laughs> Just as an example, I mentioned the MaxDoc trip uh, last last year. And uh, my wife came with me. We got to Woodstock, Illinois, where MaxDoc is, is held. It's, it's kind of a, a cool little tourist town. It's where they shot the movie Groundhog Day. And uh, it's got this historic square. Like It's totally the type of place that we like to go. It just has a real chill vibe. And it, it's just one of those places, like that's how we vacation is we go live like a local. We don't go see all the sites. So we got there on a Thursday, even though the conference didn't start till a Saturday. And I was prepared for my talk. But the entire time that we were there prior to the conference, I continued to tweak and stress about my presentation as much as I tried not to. And so I, like with your situation, you're going on this trip, your family's coming with you, you're giving a couple presentations, you're doing the MaxDoc Live event. There's no way I could do that and have any sort of quality time with my family. What I realized last year is that if I'm going to really spend quality time with my wife and we're going to make this like an anniversary getaway thing, the vacation part has to come after the work part. And so rather than going early this year, we're going down uh, Friday to through Tuesday, I believe. So we're going to tack on a day or two at the end because after I, I don't know that I'm giving a presentation yet, but if I were to give a presentation, that's going to give me margin on the back end where, okay, now I can relax. Now I can be fully invested in, in this thing that I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. That's just the way I'm wired, where if I have to think about that stuff at all, it's going to weigh on me and it's going to affect every interaction that I have with every other person prior to that. It's just, just the way I am. Yeah. And, and that's not true for everybody. I mean, I, I think I could, I can, I can uh, compartmentalize in that way. I'm jealous. I remember I had a big trial once and um, we had a, a family thing for one of the kids and I had to go, you know, participate in it. And it was a day before trial. And the, um, somebody in my firm was like upset with me. They're like, how come you're doing this? I'm like, because it's important to my daughter, you know? And if you look at all the time I spent preparing over the last three months, you know, taking five hours off to deal with this, isn't going to make a difference. And I won that case and then I was able to kind of stop that nonsense going forward. But but I, I, I'm okay at that. But the trick for that is I, I have to know going in. You know, like if I'm not ready, that's a whole different problem, you know? Yeah. But I, I usually, like when, with things like these speaking gigs have been on my calendar now for four months. So the presentation, I, I'm re-recording this on Monday. I'm giving it on Thursday. I doubt there's going to be many changes of presentations at this point. It's been polished to the point that now I just need to step away from it. Yeah. You mentioned you're doing it with other people. So have they been involved in the, the prep or are you just showing up and doing your part? Um, no, we're doing it together and, you know, we're sharing the file back and forth, but it's the same thing there. We're all pretty happy with the way things are looking. So I don't think there'll be much change. Okay. Uh, anyway, so I'm going to try and be more realistic on this trip. It, it's hard. And uh, I think the trick is 
having failed at this so many times, I'm really trying to open my eyes wide before I start this time. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll get better at it. I'll let you know. <laughs> nice. This episode of Focus is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move and enter offer code FOCUSED at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. No matter what your next big move is, it probably involves something on the internet and you need to make that move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain and award-winning templates and more. So maybe you want to create your own online store or portfolio, or maybe you want to make the next big blog. It doesn't matter what you want to create on the internet, you can do it with Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help, and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Many years ago, I had my Max Sparky blog on a different blogging platform than Squarespace, and then I found out that somebody had hacked into one of my plugins and compromised my site without me even knowing it. And that was it for me. I'd had enough. I switched over to Squarespace, and I love it because they handle the hosting and the software, and I've got everything with one vendor, and I know it's safe and secure. Not only that, it's very easy for me to make changes to the website. I'm a pretty geeky guy, and I could probably customize about any website, but I don't want to spend a lot of time doing it. And with Squarespace, it's super easy, no matter what your level of experience is. And best of all, Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. But you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com focused. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code focused to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the podcast. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D. We just bought one S there to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for all of their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, Mike, I feel like this is a, a lot of, uh, I'm working through a lot of neuroses on this episode. <laughs> the, uh, so the other one is uh, I received an email from Hans, and I'm going to read that in a minute. But there, it was just a variety of things happening uh, to me over the last couple weeks. And uh, it all added up to this email we got from a listener. But first thing that happened to me was somebody sent me a um, an article that was on the App Store in China that someone had translated for me. And it was about an app. I don't want to talk about the app, but they, they had quoted me as uh, Amer an American efficiency expert, David Sparks says. And that that kind of stunned me because I'd never thought of myself as an efficiency expert, you know? <laughs> and then sure. you know, I because I do so much with OmniFocus, I talk about it, I've done screencasts on it. I often get emails from people complaining about how um, they can't use it because once they start using an app where they have to track everything or they or they manage their tasks, they feel like they become robotic and they can't be creative anymore. And and I you know I have a different response. I feel like you need stuff like that so you can have room to be creative. And um, but then Hans sent an email as well um, after I'd posted about being intentional and we talked about it at the podcast, and he was talking about how that is good sometimes, but 
being unintentional is also good. And he feels like the balance of intentionality and unintentionality is really important. He says he wants the freedom to be able to define the balance by himself. And that's what gives him the greatest pleasure. And that, you know, kind of pushes some of the buttons about being a free agent, you know, that you really do have that control a lot more than you do if you work for the man. And then he goes on to explain this great trip he took when he was going through New Zealand and he literally had no plans. He would go to hotels at night and people would say, where are you going tomorrow? And he's like, I'm not sure, you know, and then he'd wake up in the morning and he'd say, well, I've decided I'm going to go north. And then he'd go north and he'd find some amazing, you know, adventure that he had no intention to be on, but he ended up there. And, and he likes the idea of having the ability to be unintentional. And and I totally get that. And I, I feel like the combination of the American efficiency expert, I'm holding up my air quotes now, and and these emails about <laughs> OmniFocus and this email, it just got me thinking, sometimes I feel like I'm not getting the point across properly, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the um, the idea of intentionality to me is really to be able to get the hard stuff done so I can make space, so I can have time to go on an adventure or or to do things that aren't necessarily paying the bills, but something that brings me pleasure. Um, sometimes it's just watching TV. Sometimes it's creating music. You know, it could be a lot of things. Um, but the um, But that is kind of the whole reason for this stuff. And maybe I didn't explain that enough in that intentionality post or even in the show we did, you know, two weeks ago about this. But I guess what I'd call this segment is what's the point? And, you know, the point is not to become a productivity machine, but it's to live a fully realized life, you know, to be your best self, to do the things you want to do, but also be able to pay your bills. Yeah, so this this section might get a, a little bit hippie, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that the definition of intentionality that you used in your original post is maybe a little bit different than the term as Hans used it in the email. And I don't think that either one of them are necessarily wrong. So I think that it's good that we're we're addressing this. But the email begins, intentionality is good, but being unintentional is also good sometimes. And I'm not sure I would use intentional as the, the word there. Uh, I think back to the conversation that we had with Chris Bailey, and he defined productivity as doing what you in, intended or what you intended to do. And in his example, where he binge watched and bunch of episodes of a Netflix TV show, but that was the thing that he wanted to do during that time that he had set aside, I would argue he's being completely intentional. But maybe, you know, that's what Hans would say is is unintentional, where it's not necessarily work stuff that's that's getting done. Or maybe Hans is has the the personality type where it doesn't like to have it all planned out ahead of times. So he likes to be spontaneous like that. But I think that when it whatever format you use for this this type of stuff you are making these decisions at some point and intentionality is just the the uh the measure of how well you follow through with what you you mean to do when you decide that you're going to do it whether you have figured that out a month ahead of time or you figure that out when you get up in the morning but i think that intentionality 
uh, is a really important topic because without it, you're kind of stuck going back and forth between all of the demands and everything that's vying for your attention. And I think back to the conversation prior to the, the ad break about how you're, you're setting aside a couple of hours so that you can respond to emails and emergencies that, that might come up. Intentionality is setting boundaries or parameters around where and when that stuff can happen. But without those parameters or those boundaries, whether you're traveling or whether it's your normal workday, it's very, very easy to slip into the mode where you're just responding to all of the other things that everybody else wants you to be doing. And, and you really don't even have the time to consider what you want to be doing. And intentionality is identifying that first of all, and then following through with that with integrity. Yeah, I mean, really, that's kind of the reason for that kind of realization for me. The reason I wrote that post and said, I really want to focus on this for a while is because I do find in hindsight that it's very easy for me to cut myself adrift. You know, even though I may have a great plan for the day, maybe one email comes in and I just chuck everything out the window and get stuck on that for hours. So um, I don't want to do that anymore. And and I understand where Hans is coming from, too. In fact, to me, the reason why I want to be more intentional is so I can have time to be unintentional, I guess, to use his phrase. Um, uh, I think there's a common belief that being productive means working longer hours, even when you're more efficient. And I think that's an assumption people make, even like when you and I talk about being focused on the show, it's like, great, you can be focused, you can get two hours of work out of one hour. So that means if you work four hours, you're going to get eight hours work out of four hours. And that's not really at least what I mean by it. Right. No, I, I agree with you. Um, and also to speak to the point about being spontaneous, I think this parallels pretty well with the whole idea of budgeting. And that's a common argument with people who don't want to create a budget is that, well, I want to be able to be spontaneous and I want to be able to take my kids out for ice cream and go do whatever I want to in the moment. But the the rebuttal to that is that the budget actually fosters the spontaneity because you're being intentional about where your dollars are going. So you have more dollars to invest in those spontaneous things. And I think the same thing can be said about your time. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So all that being said, I, you know, the, this, this idea that the intentionality allows you to run like a machine, um, and frankly, turn you into a robot is, is not what we meant. And, and I just want to make clear, I think we both agree that's a bad idea for a lot of reasons. Um, number one is we are not a machine, you know, we cannot be productive, applying the idea of focus or intentionality has its limits and there's only so much your brain can do in a day or a week or whatever. And another point, you know, kind of large point, we'll come back to these is that giving yourself space, giving yourself that room to not know what direction you're going to drive tomorrow morning uh, actually helps you, uh, recharges you and, and kind of helps you be more productive the next time you decide to be. So uh, the, the stuff all works together, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of different facets to the areas of, of your life. And this is kind of in the, the next segment that I was going to talk about, like the, the whole wheel of, of life thing. That's one of the things that I use. But just uh, as a precursor to that, we can probably all agree that it's not 
just as simple as we've got our professional lives and we've got our personal lives. Like there's a lot of different roles and responsibilities and different hats that people wear. And if you'd never taken the time to identify those things, you really have no idea where the demands for your time can even come from. But once you recognize that there's all of these different inputs, all these different angles that people can be requesting your time, then it's up to you to decide which ones you're going to prioritize for this season and which ones you're going to say no to. So you can say for a season that I'm going to absolutely respond to every emergency that's presented by work because I want to show that I'm this type of person. I want to climb the corporate ladder, yada, yada, yada. Okay. And I would argue that maybe that's not a great strategy, but you could do that. And then once you get to a certain point, you could say, okay, now I'm more that this, this area, this box, this gauge, whatever, this is full now. So I'm going to switch and I'm going to prioritize something else for the next season. The problem I think with a lot of people as they approach this is that work is the, the default where that one tends to get prioritized and then they go years without even considering the other gauges or the other other areas. And then by the time they want to switch and prioritize something else, it's too late. So I actually kind of build this in every couple of months with my, my personal retreat where I take stock of all this stuff and I'm constantly juggling these things. And in fact, there was a book, I'm trying to remember which one it was. I think it was The One Thing by Gary Keller, where he talks about you're juggling all of these different balls, which represent the different areas of your life. And all of them are glass, except the work one. That one's rubber. And you should feel free to chuck that one whenever you want. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the point of this, all the stuff we're talking about the show is not that you become a 24-hour machine and you don't have time to take wild trips, you know. Um, uh, but I'd like to talk a little bit about just the limits on how much you can work. Because I, I do think that there's an interesting thing that happens when you decide to put extra work in. Um, uh, like you can be working hard and say, oh, there's this one more thing I need to do for my work. And I feel like I'm getting behind. So I'm going to stay an extra hour and do that today. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it's deceiving because if you stay that extra hour, you do get that extra work done. So it feels like you're getting a one for one return, you know, say, Oh, all I have to do is work longer hours and I will get more done, but it doesn't really work that way. It, there's like a diminishing returns point. If you continue to work longer and longer hours, you actually get less and less done. Um, Chris Bailey, who was on our show a while back, talked about this in his productivity project book. I think he even mentioned it when he was on our show. Yep. Um, but one of his most interesting experiments was he did a work week, several work weeks where he only would work 20 hours a week, uh, you know, gave himself a limit. And then he did others where he would work 90 hour weeks and he wanted just to see and, and quantify how much work he got done with those different, you know, levels of, of time. And what he found was he didn't get much more work done in 90 hours than he got in 20 hours, you know? Yep. And, uh, and the, the point he made in the book that I thought was something that people don't realize is, you know, energy is part of the equation, you know? Um, and when you start working longer and longer hours, you actually do, you become useless. You know I mean? I, I know that's my experience. Like there, there comes a time where I start reading the same sentence over and over again. And I realize all I'm doing is wasting my time. And if I could better spend this time with my kids uh, or even in front of Netflix than sitting here um, mindlessly doing bad work. And then the other thing Chris found when he did the 90 hour weeks was he made a lot more mistakes. 
Yep. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can totally empathize with that one because I'm in the middle of a video project, which ended up being probably close to three times uh, bigger than the original scope, but the deadline hasn't moved. So I find myself S- in sounds this about situation. right for a video project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, but it is what it is, and I'm trying to wrap it up before I head to to Florida, so I can I can disconnect at least there. But last week, as we're recording this, I wrote over thirty five thousand words for the scripts for these videos, and then at the end of the week, I screencasted a whole bunch of stuff, and I realized after the fact, as I was going back through things, that I made a mistake, and there was something in the sidebar that I totally would have caught most normally, but I didn't realize it, and I basically wasted an entire day of screencasting because there's this extra thing that I have to get rid of, and I have to go back and redo all that stuff. So kind of the circumstances demand this, but in the in the future, you know, the, the lesson to be learned here is that I'm, I'm going to make sure that I have more margin before agreeing to, to projects like this so that this kind of stuff doesn't happen. But also, this is a good reminder for me that you can't, like you're talking about, you can't just, there's not a one-to-one return for this stuff that you can burn the midnight oil, so to speak, for a little while, but doesn't take very long for that to, to catch up to you. And also, the other lesson here is that by the end of that week, I was completely exhausted. I, I was useless. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. <laughs> and so when you are doing that, you have to recognize that you're not going to be able to just get a good night's sleep and then everything's going to be fine tomorrow. If you're going to do that, you are really stealing from future you. And sometimes, you know, you're okay with that trade-off, but it's something that you have to consider. And when I was doing trials uh, more, and I had a big trial, I would always take usually about two days off uh, as soon as everything was done. You know, once we finished a trial, I would come back to the office to wrap up there's always some filings and things you need to do but as soon as i could get clear of that i would just take two days off and the reason i did that was because in hindsight in the past when i'd look at my what i got done when i came back to the office for a couple days after a big trial i got nothing done i mean literally i was sitting at a desk doing nothing i couldn't even answer email worth a damn you know i just I was useless. So then I realized, well, if I'm not going to get any work done, I might as well just go have fun. So we would you know, go to Disneyland for the day or just do something to disconnect. And it always helped me come back and feel energized as opposed to sitting in the office for two days doing nothing. Yeah, that actually kind of ties back to a related point pertaining to the, the travel discussion that we had. Uh, I heard somebody at one point say that whenever they traveled, they would block out a day before and a day after for recovery. And I think this is a great idea because that same situation happens to me when I fly. I get, by the time I, I get home, I'm, I'm exhausted. I don't even know why, why that is, but just traveling takes everything out of me. And if I try to go put in a normal eight-hour workday the next day, it just, it just doesn't happen. So there's probably a lot of situations and triggers like this if you really understood if you really understood the way that you're wired, uh, this stuff can be really valuable in helping you kind of plan around that so you don't have to deal with it. Yeah, but but I really want to dispel this myth that working extra hours is going to increase your output. because And the thing that's tricky about it is it does work for the first couple hours, you know, once in a while. 
I, I'm not saying two hours every day is going to work, but it, once in a while you get in a jam, you have to put a little extra work and you see the result there. So your brain just says, okay, so this just works linearly. And the more time I throw at this, the more I'm going to get done, but it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. It's, it's a tactic you can implement, but it's not a, not a long-term strategy. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, we, we're, deal, we're dealing with that. Uh, I want to talk about space next, right after this. This episode of Focused is brought to you in part by our friends over at Hover. Buying a domain name is the first step to building your online identity. And with Hover, you can find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about. For example, long before I started creating the content for my faith-based productivity course, I went to Hover to make sure that I could get the domain because I needed to know that this was going to be a place that I could point everybody before I went nuts creating everything. And now getting the domain at Hover has kind of become the de facto step one for any big project that I'm considering. The first thing I do is I go get the domain. And some of these projects will never see the light of day, but that's okay because I know that it's something that I could do because I own the online identity for this thing. And that's important to me. Another great thing about Hover is that every domain name comes with free Whois privacy, so the bad guys aren't able to get your information. And Hover Connect is a feature that allows you to connect your domain name to many website builders out there with just a few simple clicks. I've tried this before. It works great. And honestly, a domain name is almost not even optional. Who doesn't need a domain name these days? It feels like everyone has one, so it's important for yours to stand out. And fortunately, Hover has over 400 domain name extensions that you can choose from to help you do just that, which can help you brand yourself online. One example is the .me extension, a great extension to showcase something like a portfolio. It shows everyone who you are and what you're good at. I even use the .me extension for my personal site where I put links to everything that I create online. So if you have a great personal website ready for launch, go ahead and grab the .me extension. It's a popular domain for personal portfolios and it's a great way to stand out when sending your resume. The .me domains are on sale for this month only at Hover for $9.99. That's 33% off your first year. And if you're new to Hover, you're going to get an additional 10% off any domain extensions for your first year. So go to hover.com slash focused with one S right now. That's hover.com slash focused. It's time to get your portfolio website up and running. Thank you to Hover for their support of Focused and all of Relay FM. All right, Mike. So we've agreed that part, uh, part, you know, the flip side of being intentional and productive is to not work all your time and to have some downtime or some space. Um, how do you define that space? Yeah, good question. So the term that I really like, and I have to give credit where credit is due here. I first heard this from Sean Blanc, but he uses the term margin. And I went to his Focus Course live event, and there's a whole section from that workbook on the importance of margin as a necessary component of a focused life. And he defines margin as breathing room. It's the opposite of overload. I really, really like that definition. And I think that that speaks to me because I tend to be the person who 
hyper-schedules everything, to borrow your term, and all of my time is accounted for, and I'm trying to squeeze all of these things in, and then when one thing doesn't work, everything can get blown up. It's like if you're trying to spin all these plates, it, as soon as you have a little bit beyond your capacity, they're all going to come crashing down. And margin is kind of the or space, as you defined it, like that's kind of the thing that prevents that from happening. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Bailey also talked about it in the hyper-focus book, you know, that the kind of the flip side of focus is allowing yourself to to have room to just let your brain wander and the good things that come from that. Yeah, the hyper-focus versus uh, scatter-focus, I think, is how yeah, he, that's he defined it. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a cool definition. But I think even with the hyper-focus side of this, he uses a term called attentional space, which I think is kind of powerful if you understand it. Basically, he's saying in the book that you've only got so much attentional space. And there are limits to what you are able to do with your attentional space. You cannot you cannot do two complicated things at one time. Multitasking is in that sense a, a myth. You know, and I think that if you are trying to just constantly maximize your focus, that's also a mistake because there's limits to that and that space or that margin is actually very healthy. It helps make sure that you don't make the mistakes that we were talking about in the last segment where you're working all the time and you're, you're pushing yourself too far and that's when things start to, to break down. If you concentrate on maintaining that margin, personally, I believe that you can make sure that you never end up in that place. Yeah, you know, it's funny, like last week, I, um, I went real hard for three days, you know, Lots of, got a lot of work done. I had a lot, you know, I was thinking about this trip, you know, getting the presentations finalized, all this stuff going on. And um, at some point, I took a break and went downstairs and and just fell into a five-hour Netflix trap. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I didn't do anything for five hours. I, I, from like 4 p.m. to like the evening, I sat there and watched Netflix. And it was a day like the kids weren't home. I had like all this great time to, get work done. And I, I'm convinced that it's just like my brain said, okay, you're done. You know, um, yep. you got to go do something mindless for a while. And, and that's, you know, that is a, a failure on my part, not to try and build enough space. And if I had, you know, built in a little more space over those couple days, I probably could have spent that downtime uh, doing something better than watching Netflix. Yeah. And that's, that's the, the danger is that you don't realize when, you've exceeded the exceeded what you're capable of until it's too late. And then you've already fallen down that rabbit hole and you've invested a whole bunch of hours doing something that you didn't want to do. Going back to the intentionality discussion. Exactly. It's like junk food. You know, you can, you can spend that time. Like, like I really like making and writing music. Um, I didn't do as much during that period because I was so busy. I think in hindsight, I would have rather spent five hours doing that than watching a show I didn't even really care that much about, you know? And um, I, I think you, you you put yourself in that position if you're not, I, I hate to say it, but intentional about this stuff. Yep, exactly. And th that's that's why, like the, was it Benjamin Franklin, those who, who fail to plan, plan to fail? I think that that totally pertains to to this discussion. If you fail to plan your margin, then you're, you're planning to exceed it and you everything's going to 
come tumbling down around you. Yeah. So if you apply intentionality, as, as we defined it in the first part of this, this episode, and you recognize that I do need to set aside something, some time for something that is regenerative or restorative for me, and anybody can figure out what that is for them. For me personally, I kind of discovered last year that, well, at least when it's nice out, you know, we're in the Midwest in the winter right now, so it's <laughs> snowing and below zero outside. So I'm not going running outside right now, but uh, if I'm in the, in, in, when the weather is, is decent, that's one of the things that really kind of hits the reset button for me is I'll, I'll write or I'll create until I'm mentally exhausted. I'll switch modes and then I'll go for a long run. And by the time I get back, like I'm ready to go again, it feels really good to, uh, to go emphasize a, a different area, you know, and that's really when it comes to space and margin, I think that that's another thing that needs to be taken into account is not all space is the, the same. Uh, Sean Blanc mentions that there's five areas that we need margin, time, money, emotions, health, and then mental or creative. And so you can kind of switch back and forth between these. And you, again, you have to check all, all the boxes. You have to recognize all the different facets that, that comprise you and make sure that you're managing and stewarding all of them well. And uh, step one to that is, is to recognize that just because you've got a little bit of time here, you know, I, sh- I should be using that to, to refill this meter over here and forget about that one over there for a little while. And it doesn't have to be as mercenary as that can sound as well. Like I know, for instance, Mike likes to play video games. I'm guessing you probably set time aside to play video games. And um, that, you know, my family, we have Disney passes. So we set time aside every week or two to drive up to Anaheim and just kind of hang out and be together. And all that stuff, even though we're applying kind of this intentionality and these productivity terms to these things, um, it's the fun side of this stuff. It's it's the reason you're doing everything else. And by blocking that time in for me, say, and I guess I should explain, I do block time for that stuff. You know, I block time to make music. I block time to go to Disneyland or, you know, whatever we've got going on with relation to the family. So uh, all of those blocks I put together are not necessarily work related. A lot of them can be fun related. And, and I think that um, creating that, it's probably one of the reasons why Hans wrote me because it sounds so, so mercenary, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And, uh, but it's not that I'm saying uh, I'm setting aside the afternoon to go to Disneyland and we are going to get there and we are going to go, you know, on the Jungle Cruise ride and then we're going to go eat a hot dog. And then, you know, it's not like that. It's just saying this is time for us to be together and this is the place we're going to do it. Yep. Maybe someday I could say I, I'm going to block away a week to go wander around New Zealand. Actually, New Zealand is on my list. I want to get there someday. And, and maybe I would do it like Hans. I don't know. But the, um, uh, but there's definitely a piece of all of this stuff we're talking about, you know, the, the payoff or, you know, what, it, why are we doing all this stuff is to have that time to play a game or to, you know, do something with the family. Yeah. And actually an example comes up here, which kind of illustrates the point about how the, the budgeting can produce more spontaneity. So I mentioned like the the scheduling piece. I know you do this too, David. You were sharing some some forms with me that you use for planning your day. I've got my own and I use GoodNotes to, to plan out every hour of my day. But what that does is it actually gives me more time for those things because I may block aside three hours for writing in the morning. And then my goal is to 
produce an article or write a newsletter, whatever, write the scripts. If I finish early, which often I do, because the more that I, I plan out my day, the better I get at estimating how long something is going to take. And frequently I'll get done ahead of time. And then I've got, you know, a half hour out of that three hour block before my next thing starts, where if I want to, yeah, I could go pick something else off of the task list and get going on it. But often what I'll do is I'll use that as an opportunity, reward myself for getting done early. And I'll go play video games for a little while. The the current one that I'm I'm stuck on, by the way, is uh, Tetris 99 for the the Switch. It's amazing. Have you ever played Tetris against against other people? It's it's phenomenal, and it only takes a couple of minutes to play a game. And so I can get a couple rounds of that in before I have to go back to work. And so that's that's one way that I throughout the course of my day am, am actually kind of recharging the the different meters. And I, I guess I just didn't do a very good job of explaining that in the last episode. But really, I mean, the, the point of this intentionality is to be able to do that. So, And not only do those, does that margin, as Sean would say, help out with um, you know downtime and recharging, but it does also, I think, serve a purpose to allow you to bring your creative side to the rest of what you do. Like if you're working so hard that you really do, you know, just go to bell to bell every day, let's say that you're, you're limiting yourself to 40 hours a week, but you're going 40 hours a week at work straight through that, that there is no margin or space in that schedule where you just stop and think about what you're doing. Um, I do think that can be a real problem because, um, you know, you're just, you're spending so much time in the, you know, looking at the trees that you're not looking at the forest or, you know, you're not making plans. And I think giving yourself space to just think about what I'm doing and have room in there quite often can let you make those course corrections that can can really change the ultimate success of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one area of this, which we've talked about before on this podcast, is this whole idea of the personal retreat. That's really what it is. And yeah, I've got some questions that I consider, but there have been times when I've gone up there and I just chuck the the handbook and I just do nothing because that's what I need right now. And setting aside the the time to be able to do that, that is very healthy, uh, I would I would argue. I think another thing that that kind of is worth considering with this is that we probably are a little bit harder on ourselves in terms of what we should be able to do because of the work that we typed that we tend to do. So we're not doing physical labor for 40 hours a week and we're not passing out from exhaustion because we've been in a coal mine all day, every day. And so we kind of figure like, well, look at you, you, you talked into a microphone for a couple of hours. What right do you have to (laughs) to be tired? But the truth is that by the end of a podcast recording, I am pretty exhausted and I have to go do something else because my mental energy is, is spent. And uh, I think that that's something that we need to, to recognize and be okay with is identifying our limits in terms of this quote unquote knowledge work that a lot of people do because it's a different type of of energy management than just I've been doing this this thing and it's made me physically tired. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is very different. Well, I, I do think that um I think we've made the point, but you know, you just need to I I think intentionality can have repercussions across the, the fun in your life as well. Um, I do think that you don't need to necessarily bring the same level of detail of intentionality to the, the fun, but I think having you know your time blocked or having a way to know that you've got time to work and time to play. And, and if you're like me and you find yourself the, the personality type that will work 
too much. You know, that I, if I left to my own devices, I'll sit here and work until I fall into bed. Um, I think bringing some intentionality can help you um, be deliberate about planning time to have fun. Yep, absolutely. Another trick I'd add to that is um, when you were talking about margins with Sean, one of the ways I deal with that and I, is when I do time block, I, I feel I'm liberal with the time blocks. You know, I give myself more time than I think the project will take. And usually, um, as I've got better at those time estimates, I'm usually, uh, you know, under the estimate a bit. So I don't feel like I'm running around and not finishing anything. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that was kind of the point that I was trying to make is I don't intentionally set aside more time than I think something is going to take. But we tend to underestimate what we can get done in the long run and overestimate what we can get done quickly. And I find that that applies even to if I set a multiple hour time block on my my calendar. So I'll I'll err on the side of caution. And if I think something is going to take a little more than an hour, for example, I'll set aside two hours. So I have a bunch of margin there. And then maybe I even get it done in, in less than an hour. Maybe it takes a little bit longer than than that. But forcing myself to think in hour block increments naturally builds in the margin in my experience. You know, if you were to break it down to every half hour or even every 15 minutes, I think you would probably lose a lot of that. So that would be the the one thing I would add to that is if you're going to you're going to plan out your day like that and you want to build in some of that margin, then work with at least one hour time blocks. Yeah. This episode of Focus is brought to you by FreshBooks. Online invoicing made easy. Go to freshbooks.com slash focused and enter focused in the how did you hear about us section for a free unrestricted 30-day trial. Everyone likes to save time, but it's especially important when you're a free agent. Our friends over at FreshBooks can save you up to 192 hours with their super simple cloud accounting software for freelancers. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. I remember what it was like sending bills before there was an online service like FreshBooks. It was so much more time-consuming, so much more difficult, and so much more inefficient. With FreshBooks, everything just gets done. FreshBooks has this great notification center that's like your personal assistant. You'll always know what's changed in your business since the last time you logged in and what needs to be dealt with pronto. They automate late payments and email reminders so you can spend less time chasing payments and more time working your magic. And also with FreshBooks, when you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can show you whether they've seen it, which puts an end to the guessing games. If you can see through FreshBooks that a client, for whatever reason, hasn't opened an invoice, that makes the conversation a lot easier than if they've opened it a few times and just haven't paid it. Whatever your free agent business is, you need to spend your time making things and not spending it dealing with administrative stuff like billing. FreshBooks just solves that problem for you. And if you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show. There's no credit card required, and all you have to do is go to freshbooks.com focused and enter focused in the how did you hear about us section. We thank FreshBooks for all of their support of this show and Relay FM. So, Mike, earlier you talked about the Wheel of Life. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so this is not a new idea, but I applied it in in my personal retreat handbook and I kind of defined it my own way. 
So the wheel of life is kind of an exercise that you use to take inventory of your current satisfaction of the different areas that comprise your life. And so the one in the personal retreat handbook has eight different areas, and I define them spiritual, career and work, love and relationships, health and fitness, personal growth, fun and recreation, social and finances. But if you were to apply this, you can really put whatever labels on this stuff you want. And then it's a it's a big circle, at least the one I have. So radiating out from the middle, there's different lines from one to 10. And you rate your current satisfaction in each of those areas on a scale from one to 10. And then what that does in terms of the, the personal retreat is it shows you which areas you're not happy with. So those are the areas that you should consider setting goals for the next couple of months. But I think taking a step back from that, it can also be a very effective tool, even if you didn't decide to set any goals in these particular areas, because it would at least show you the current state of things. And so I can put mine from the, the last quarter that I did in the, uh, the show notes so people can get an idea of this. But for me, because I'm going through some work stuff, my career work uh, pie slice wasn't very high. So that's where I set some goals. But also in the past, I've done this and my social one hasn't been very high because I tend to be pretty introverted and left to my own devices. I would rather stay home than go out with friends. But if you want to have friends, you got to show yourself friendly. So <laughs> I actually had a, a uh, 12-week year goal to once a month uh, go out on a double date, my wife and I, with at least one other couple. And that sounds pretty silly to have to set a goal for yourself to do that sort of thing. But it also is a cool example, I think, of how flexible this stuff is. So goals don't just have to pertain to your work situation. Just like being productive doesn't have to be it doesn't have to solely be defined by how many widgets you can crank out at your job. You can prioritize the different areas of your life and make positive changes in them. You just can't influence all of them at once. You know, we're such nerds and, um, you know, we're exposing ourselves here. One of the things I do at the beginning of each month is I have a little kind of monthly sheet where I plan the month out. And I have, uh, one of my things every month is I pick four friends and I, basically pledge myself to take as much time as it needs to have a nice interaction with that person, whether it's meeting them for coffee or if they live far away, I get on an extended telephone call with them. But, and I don't know why I started doing that, but it's one of the things I look forward to every month is picking four friends this month that I can really give some special attention to with the idea that I'm going to do it like one a week, but sometimes it doesn't work out just that way. But by writing them down, I kind of hold myself accountable uh, to to make time to talk to four friends. Yeah, exactly. And the natural argument against this is the same thing that people would say against the intentionality and spontaneity, regardless of the, the area that you apply this to, is that I don't want to be so rigid. But my guess is that when you call those four friends and you have those conversations, other than maybe you've got a checklist in your task manager which says it's time to call this person like it doesn't it doesn't water down the quality of the conversation at all that's but that's where people get hung up a lot is well I want to have the freedom to do whatever I want but actually it's the intentionality that provides the freedom that you're looking for yeah and and the reason this this list exists is because there was a problem where I was I would go six months without talking to any friends, you know, because yep. I get so busy and doing things. And I realized I was losing touch with some people that are dear to me. 
and I wanted to find some concrete way to um to fix that. And uh, so now, by doing this nerdy thing of writing their names down, somehow it magically turns into me contacting them, and and it works for me. You know, I, I'm not sure it works for everybody, but works for me and it, i know how crazy it sounds i mean I, I heard from a friend that listened to this show and said i can't believe you do all this nonsense but you know that's the way i keep the uh keep the the engine running yeah exactly and that's the thing like when it all comes down to it you've got all these different things all these different trains that you're trying to keep running i kind of the, the picture i get is like the mini metro game for ios you know where you're just trying to keep things from colliding <laughs> yeah. you want to avoid a disastrous collision in one of these different areas and so you have to know the current state of things if you if you don't understand that you're really pushing it in, in a particular area you know love and relationships for example you may all of a sudden wake up one day to find that your your partner your significant other has had enough and is ready to leave. Like you have to, you have to know these things. But once you know this, those things, you can figure out for yourself what are the levers that you can pull. What are the things that you can do that will move the needle in that particular area? So maybe it's not making a list of people that you're going to call periodically. Although I do think that that is a great idea, and I think that would provide benefit for anybody who wants to to implement that. But maybe there is a specific strategy or a specific habit that you hear us talk about. And you're like, there's no way I would do that. That's fine. Figure out whatever's going to move the needle for you. But I think the process here is always the same. So you identify the area that needs some attention, some TLC. And then you figure out what is something that you can do in that area. And whether you want to call that a goal or not, uh, that that's fine. But what kind of outcome can you create that would have a positive impact in that area? And then from there, it's breaking it down into habits like we talked about. What are the things that you can do every day, I would argue, but maybe it's not even every day. Maybe it's just consistently every week, whatever, like calling your, your list, of, list of friends. But doing the, the, the things that you can do over and over again, which are going to not only move the needle as you implement them, but then once you start doing it, it kind of becomes a habit. It becomes ingrained. And then it's not something that you have to really invest a whole lot of attention at anymore. So once you've created that habit and you've figured out the, the best way to make that sort of thing happen, then you're free to go take care of, of something else. And it's, it's that constant switching, I think, that is, is really behind the whole idea of intentionality. It's not saying that I'm going to prioritize all eight of these areas every single quarter. Yes, I'm going to make sure that I'm doing things for these areas uh, of, uh, every single day, every, every single week, every single month. But I'm not going to be focused on those things. A lot of those things are going to be running on autopilot because of those habits that I've created. And so I'm going to be okay with the current state of this one. And I'm going to figure out what habits I need to create in this one. And then I'm going to figure out what habits I need to stop doing because they're not effective anymore. Like it's, it's not complicated, but it's not something that you can just set and forget either. Yeah. And, and I guess I would just kind of wrap this up saying uh, the reason Hans's email combined with those other things kind of really jumped this to the front of the line is I totally understand where he's coming from. And honestly, it's the reason why I've always had a kind of a love hate relationship with productivity literature and the idea of being productive. Because in some ways, if you look at it, it can be a harness to, you know, it's like treating yourself like a monkey. How can I make the monkey work harder? And 
And there is a lot of literature and people talking about this stuff out there that really do have that one dimensional kind of attitude towards productivity, that it's just something to make you work harder and get more done. But then what really turned me around on it was like talking to Mike and reading books by people who look at it as a way to get your whole life together, you know, that, that this isn't just something you apply to work, but it's something you apply to fun. And it actually increases the quality of both. Yeah. Productivity should not enable you to get more work done. Productivity should give you the freedom to live the life you want to live. Yeah, And that's our goal with this show, honestly. And that's the reason why I'm on this journey, because I, I don't want to just become great at getting contracts written. I want to, I want to, I want the whole enchilada. Yeah, exactly. And that's the beauty of it is that you can define for yourself what this stuff looks like. What does productivity mean to you? Maybe that's a definition that we should open up to listeners to put into the uh, the forum. It'd be interesting to see how people define productivity or maybe even att- intentionality would be a, a, another good one. But you can write your own definition and then you can do the things that are important to you, which are going to lead you to the the state that you you want to be in. Whatever, wherever you are right now, whatever your situation, the things that have gotten you here are the decisions that you've made ultimately. And yeah, maybe some things have happened that have been outside of your control. But most of most of us, like we are where we are because today, because of the decisions that we made yesterday. And so, how do you change your future? You change your decisions. And there's something really empowering about recognizing that you have the ability to do that, even if you can't completely change your work situation, like we talked about in the the last episode, control what you can control, but start taking ownership and moving in the direction that you want. And then it's just showing up every day that, that making the right decisions, the compound effect kicks in. And then before long, you start seeing the results. Maybe it doesn't happen as quickly as you want it to. But if you're consistent with it, if you identify with this is who I am and this is what I want to become, like James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits, then the score does take care of itself. Yeah, I think that's, uh, let's wrap it up there. I think that's a pretty good way to summarize this episode. Awesome. All right. So uh, we are the Focus Podcast. You can find us over on relay.fm slash focused. Thank you to our sponsors, Squarespace, Hover, and FreshBooks. Uh, thanks to Hans for sending in that thoughtful email. It really made me think about a lot of things, and uh, and it really helped me on my journey. So uh, we will see, and you can uh, learn more about us over on the forums. We're at uh, talk.macpowers.com. Focus has its own forum there. Uh, Mike, anything exciting going on in your life these days? Uh, you can you can keep up with my writing at mikeschmitz.me. I'm going to hopefully start posting there more often. And then the other stuff is faithbasedproductivity.com. I don't have anything really exciting to talk about, except that I've got this trip planned and I'm trying to do it without pulling my hair out. I'll let you know how I did next time. (laughs) Sounds good. See you in two weeks.